0: Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today.
1: Look at your life
0: today. Think about your life. Where are you experiencing the most stress, pressure, anxiety, hardships, Difficulties. Maybe inwardly you look like this fella. You may be thinking, it may be at school. Some of you are starting school this week. Maybe you're very anxious about that. Maybe it is school and you're teaching. And you're anxious about having to get back into the classroom. Maybe your greatest pressure is in the area of your finances. Maybe you're really struggling just to pay the bills and it seems that you just can't get ahead. Maybe it's in your job. Maybe you're facing a crisis at work or maybe your boss is unreasonable and you're just really feeling a lot of pressure there. Maybe it's in your family. Things are just really not going well. Maybe it's in your health. You're just hurting. You're weary. Maybe you've got some chronic Illness it just continues to plague you. Maybe it's in your possessions. Maybe there are things that you own that are just breaking, and it just seems like time you get one fixed, something else breaks. But where are you experiencing the greatest stress, the greatest pressure in your life today? And you may be thinking, why do I have to go through this, God? Why don't you just take this out of my life? I get sick and tired of the pressure, of the hardships, of having this stress and adversity in my life. God, if you really loved me, you would protect me from all these troubles and struggles. But I want you to know today that it is because God does love you that you're experiencing the stress and the adversity and the hardships and the difficulties that you're experiencing. You take that one thing that's in your mind now that's really causing you the most pressure, the most stress right today, and I believe it's because God does love you that you are experiencing that. Now last week we looked at holiness as a gift of God's grace. And we said holiness can be divided into two different things. First, there's positional holiness that God has declared us holy in the Lord Jesus. This is a result of what Christ has accomplished for us. Because He lived that perfect life, because He died on the cross and made payment for our sin, when we become a Christian, God declares us positionally righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But then there is what we call practical holiness. And this is a result of the Holy Spirit's work in us. This is our practice, how we live. And our lives should match our position. We should grow into Christ-likeness. Now, we said this practical holiness can be divided into two parts. First, initial sanctification, that which God accomplishes the moment you're saved. He gives you a new heart to love Him. He gives you a new mind to understand spiritual things. He gives you a new will uh, to choose to obey Him. He does that immediately at your conversion, but then there's a second part of this practical sanctification, and that is progressive holiness. That's where the Holy Spirit works in you, and you are actively involved in this process as well to bring you into Christ likeness. Your position of holiness in God and your practice comes up ever closer to your position, and that is progressive. Holiness. You growing into Christ likeness. Now today, we're going to be looking at this progressive sanctification. You growing into Christ likeness. And we're going to look at how God works in us to bring us into that progressive holiness. To bring us more and more into the image of Christ. This young boy was watching a sculpture one day, and he didn't know exactly what he was trying to to make out of the marble. And so the young boy asked the man, he said, how do you do that? What, what are you trying to make? He said, I'm making a sculpture of Jesus. And the young boy said, well, how are you going to go about doing that? I, I, you don't have a picture or anything around. He said, I'm simply going to chip away... Everything that doesn't look like Jesus in this block of marble. And then what will be left will be an image of Christ. Now that is what God's doing in our lives. He's chipping away everything in our life that doesn't look like Christ. You know that outburst of anger that you have? That doesn't look like Christ. And so God is at work chipping away that part of your life. You know that selfishness that you have? That pride, that envy, God's working to bring and chip those things out of our lives to bring us into Christ-likeness. And that brings us to our main theme today. The title of the message, Adversity, God's Chisel. Adversity is one of the main chisels that God uses in your life to knock away all of those things that don't look like Jesus to bring you into progressive holiness, to bring you into the image of Christ. Now our passage of Scripture today is over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to read verses 7 through 10. I provided a place in the bulletin for you to take notes, let me encourage you to do that. In respect for the Word of God, let's stand. As I read beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Paul writing says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the obeying of his words. Now, in this passage today, we are going to look at adversity, God's chisel. And we are going to look at God's purpose in our adversity. We are going to look at God's plan in our adversity. We are going to look at God's promise in our adversity. And we are going to look at our response in our adversity. First, God's purpose in our adversity. Why doesn't God just protect His children from all adversity, from all difficulties, and from all troubles? I mean, since He loves us so much, why doesn't He just protect us so that we have a trouble-free life? I mean, don't we as parents try to accomplish this for our children? Don't we try to protect our children from the difficulties and problems and adversities and hardships in this life? Well, then... Since God's a loving parent, why doesn't He do the same thing? Well, as I said a moment ago, I believe it is because God does love us that He brings the difficulties and the hardships and the adversities and the troubles into our life. Now, the key is to see God's purpose in these adversities and hardships and difficulties. You see, the purpose to an adversity makes all the difference in the world. It makes a difference between an abusive parent and a loving parent. Let me give you an example. Say a parent takes a sharp needle. And in order to punish their child for their misbehavior, this parent takes a sharp needle and sticks it into their child. And the pain that ensues from that brings tears in that child's eyes. Now you would say, that parent's abusive. I take the same child, same parent, same needle, and this time the parent sticks the needle in the child, causing pain, bringing tears, but the purpose is to inject insulin into this child who is diabetic and who would die without that insulin shot. Now, rather than being an abusive parent, that parent has suddenly become a loving parent. Willing even to inflict pain on their child, knowing they hurt when their child hurts because it's for their child's good. You see, purpose makes all the difference. The purpose in the adversity. And the same is true about the adversity God places in our lives. I've heard people say, God never brings makes anybody sick. God never brings problems on people because God's not a child abuser. Well, the problem is they don't understand the purpose Behind the adversity and the difficulties and the problems. And so we need to realize that God has a purpose in the adversity He brings into our lives. And what is that purpose? Paul tells us in verse 7. He says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, He says it again, to keep me from exalting myself. Paul says God's purpose for the adversity he was experiencing was to humble him. Twice in this one verse, he says, to keep me from exalting myself. You see, Paul had seen such great revelations. In fact, in verses 1-6, through right above this passage we're looking at, Paul talks about actually seeing a vision or even being taken up into heaven. He said he wasn't sure if he just was a vision or if he was actually taken into heaven. And he said he saw things that were so great, you couldn't even put them into words. And Paul said because of such great revelations that God had given him, his tendency would have been to be puffed up. His tendency would be to become proud. You see, spiritual pride was a ever-present danger In Paul's life. Well, you can understand that, can't you? I mean, how many of us can claim a Damascus conversion experience? I mean, how many of us can say God was so desiring to save me that I was heading down the road and He appeared to me in a bright light and He spoke to me and saved me? How many of us can claim that kind of dramatic conversion experience that Paul could? How many of us can say Jesus met with us and instructed us over a period probably of three years when Paul was in Arabia? How many of us can can say that He has taken us into heaven and given us visions too great for words? How many of us can say that we were so instrumental in the founding of the early Christian church as Paul was? How many can say that we have written so many books that God says are His Word and included in the Holy Scriptures? So you can see why Paul was facing the ever-present danger of being proud. And he says, to keep him humble, God allowed Satan to torment him with some adversity, some hardship. He refers to it as a thorn in the flesh. And Paul never says what his thorn in the flesh is. And there have been those who speculated. Some have said that it was his bad eyesight. Others have said, no, he had fainting spells. Maybe he had epilepsy. Some have even said, in which I don't agree, that it was his wife. Now, I would never agree with that nor say that. But whatever that thorn in the flesh was, he said it plagued him. He said it tormented him so much that he begged God three times to take it away from him. Now, I think there's a reason Scripture doesn't tell us what it is. If Scripture told us what it was, then all of us would think, well, if I don't have that exact same situation, then I don't have a thorn in the flesh. And so the Scripture purposely is vague about what it is so that you and I, can well know that pressure, that stress, that adversity, that difficulty that we are experiencing, that you're experiencing right now, is God's thorn in the flesh to you. Because pride is so destructive in our Christian life, God lovingly allows adversity in our lives to ward off that pride. You see, pride is self-confidence rather than God's confidence. Pride is trusting in ourselves, our wisdom, our abilities, our strength, rather than trusting in God's abilities and God's wisdom and God's strength. Pride is depending on ourselves instead of depending on God. And pride is the sure formula for spiritual disaster. Pride was Satan's first sin. As he was in heaven as one of the most glorious of all the created beings, of the angels, he was not satisfied. He wanted to be like God. And he rebelled. Pride was the reason for Eve's sin in the garden. Because she wanted to know as God knew, good and evil. And she was told by Satan if she would partake of that forbidden fruit, that she would be like God. And she wanted that. It was pride. Pride is so dangerous. God warned Israel against the danger of pride, against the danger of depending on themselves rather than depending on God as they were preparing to go into the promised land. God gave them a warning over in Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. Now listen, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God, by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten, and are satisfied, and have built good houses, and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud." and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with His fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness He fed you manna which your fathers did not know, that He might humble you and that He might test you to to do good for you In the end. In other words, God brought hardships in their lives in the wilderness to humble them. To show them that they needed Him. That they had to depend on Him. But He says, now when you get into the promised land and life gets easy, beware, be careful that you don't let pride take over and you forget me. Verse 17, Otherwise, you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Our tendency is no different than Israel's tendency. When everything's going great, when we're living high on the land, we tend to become proud and think we do not need God. I can handle everything. Now, we don't just come out and say that in our minds, but that's the way we act and that's the way we really think. We don't ever need God. Things are going good. Man, i got a good bank account. I can have anything that comes up. No matter what it is, I can pay to have it fixed. You see, pride is at the very core of all sin. Pride is the root of our sin nature. And in order to keep us from this ever-present danger of pride, God brings difficulties and adversities in our lives for the purpose of humbling us. To remind us and show us that we must depend on Him and not on ourselves. How many of us have situations arise in our lives and everything we try just won't solve the situation? Sometimes it's even out of our control and we just seem to be a victim of somebody else's actions. And there's just nothing we can do. And everything we try fails, and we come away broken and empty of ourselves. And we turn to God when we get so low, and we find in Him everything we need. That's God's chisel to humble us and to make us dependent on Him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the same book that we're in, in the first chapter, he talks about how stress and difficulties worked in his life. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively, beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. It. it was so great. The pressure was so tremendous that we thought it was going to kill us. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. For what purpose? So bad. We would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Now think about that adversity, that difficulty, that hardship, that stress, that pressure that you're going through right now. God has brought that in your life, or He's allowed that to come in your life, so that you will be empty of your self-life, humbled that you might look to Him. That you might not depend on yourself, but that you... Will depend on Him. That's His purpose for your adversity. Secondly, let's look at God's promise in our adversity. And His promise is found in verse 9. God says, My grace is sufficient for you. You see, God does not leave us in our adversity to fend for ourselves. He has given us a promise in our adversity, and He has promised that His grace is sufficient. To see us through that adversity. Now here we need to widen our understanding of God's grace. You remember we have defined God's grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. Remember? But now we want to broaden our understanding of grace. Grace is also, He has promised His grace and His grace is His enabling power working in us through the Holy Spirit. God's grace is not only His riches at Christ's expense, but it's God's enabling power working through us. It's that what we saw last week in Philippians 2. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We are responsible to do, but it is God who enables us to do. That is His grace. God's divine assistance to us through the Holy Spirit working in us. Alright, so what's God's promise to you in your adversity when He says, My grace is sufficient? Well, He's not promising to take you out of that adversity. He's not promising to deliver you from that problem. No, He is promising that in the midst of that stress, in the midst of that pressure, in the midst of that adversity, He will give you the divine assistance The divine enabling power to live in that stress, in that pressure, in that adversity, in a way that will bring glory to Him. That's His promise. When He says, my grace is sufficient. I will enable you as you look to Me to live through that situation in a way that will bring glory to Me. And isn't that our ultimate goal anyway, to glorify God? In that stress and that pressure in our lives? Now I've been in adversity sometime, but I didn't know how to glorify God in it. I just say, God, I don't know how to glorify you in this situation. I mean I I'm just I'm just totally undone. I am just totally squashed. And I don't have any idea how I can glorify you in this. But I'm looking to you to show me. I'm looking to you to enable me to live in this trouble, to live in this difficulty in a way that will bring glory to you. And God has promised that He will do that. William Carey was a missionary to India back in the early 1800s. And when William Carey went to India, he had a burden to translate the Bible into the dialect of the people that he was ministering to, so they could have the Bible in their own dialect. Well, the problem was they didn't even have a written language. And so first he had to learn the language. And then he had to reduce it to written form. Then he had to write dictionaries with the words and what they meant. Then he had to translate the Bible into that language so they could have it. Then he wrote grammars of that language so that they could have those grammars. Now, he did all that from scratch without using computers or anything like that. And finally, once he got that accomplished, some friends from England sent him some printers so he could begin to print the Scriptures in their language. And he was cruising. He went away one day on a trip, and when he came back, a fire had gone through his headquarters and had destroyed everything destroyed the printing presses, destroyed his grammars, destroyed his translations, destroyed uh, his his uh, dictionaries. I mean, everything he had spent all these years working on was gone up in smoke. You know, that was before they had backups on computers and things, folks. It was gone. Have you ever been working on a paper back before they had computers, maybe a term paper or something, and something happened and you lost it and you knew you were going to start from scratch? They said, William Carey, when he saw that everything had gone up in smoke, he knelt down and he thanked God that he still had the energy and the life to do it all again. He didn't spend any time in self-pity. He didn't spend any time in despair. He immediately began to do it all over again. And when he had finished, before he died, he had completed everything over again and even improved on many of the things a second time. Now, God's grace was sufficient for William Carey when he saw his life's work go up in smoke. And he was able to glorify God in that situation when he thanked God that he had an opportunity to do it all over again. So God's promise to you is His grace is sufficient. He's promising you as you look at that adversity, that stress, that difficulty you're going through right now, that if you'll look to Him, He will enable you to live through that in a way that will bring glory to Him. Next, God's plan in our adversity. Again, verse 9. Jesus said, for power is perfected in weakness. That's God's plan to perfect His power in our weakness. You see, God's plan is to humble you, emptying you of your self-life so that He can fill you with His life. Through our adversity, He reduces us to our human weaknesses so that He can infuse us with His power. You see, when we realize, realize our weakness, then we look to Him for His power. As long as we're filled with pride, God's power will not fill us. He must break us and empty us of our pride so that He can then fill us with His power. Look at 1 Peter 5.5. 5. It says, For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is opposed. That word in the, in the Greek means to stand against, resist. God stands against the proud. But what does He give to the humble? Grace. His grace Enabling power. His divine assistance. He abounds to the humble. When God brings that adversity and He breaks you, He reduces you to nothing, He does it so He can infuse His power in you. All right, here's you, all filled with yourself. Here's God's power. So God brings some trouble, some adversity in your life. Maybe at work your boss is really on your case. And so it kind of <laughs> empties you a little bit. And what does God do? He fills you with His power. And then another situation comes into your life. Say that your, your marriage is really di- in difficulty and, and or maybe your children are really giving you a hard time rebelling. So what does God do? He shakes you he empties you a little more. And then what does He do? He fills you more with His power. Hey, and you're getting more and more green, aren't you? And then He brings some big adversity in your life. Maybe a loss of a loved one. And man, that just shakes you up and empties you all the way. And then what does God do? He fills you with His power. And the only way you're going to be filled with His power is you've got to be emptied of yourself. But part of the problem is, you know, we keep filling ourselves up. So God has to keep emptying us. Because what do we do? We keep filling ourselves up, don't we, with pride. Things go all right, so we fill ourselves back up. And then God empties us, and He fills us up with His power. So think about that adversity, that difficulty, that stress you're going through right now. God's emptying you. What's His plan? To fill you with His power. He's just emptying you of your self-life that His power can infuse you And you can know Him and understand His power in a greater way than you can imagine. Look at Paul's life. It started on the Damascus Road when God broke him. And God continued to break Paul. You look at his life. He suffered difficulties and hardships. And that's what he says. He said, man, I suffered difficulties and hardships. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. All of those things. Why did they come in Paul's life? Because God wanted to empty him so that God could infuse his power in him. You know, we look at Paul and we see how God used him to accomplish such great things, writing Scripture, being one of the first missionaries of the church. And what we don't realize is that came with a price in Paul's life. He suffered a great deal. And it was through that suffering that he went through. As He was stoned one time and left for dead. How many of us have had that happen? But it was through such adversities and difficulties that God was emptying Paul. He was humbling Paul that in Paul's weakness, God's power would be perfected in him. You see, the only way to be filled with God's power is to be emptied of yourself. That's God's plan. You see, God's purpose in your adversity is to humble you. God's promise is that His grace will be sufficient. He will enable you to live in that situation in a way that brings glory to Him. And His plan is to infuse you with His power in your weakness. Now, what should be our response to our adversity? Paul tells us, again continuing in verse 9, Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses and insults and distresses, with persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says that when he realized and saw God's purpose in his adversities was to humble him, and when he realized God's promise was that his grace would be sufficient, and when he realized God's plan was to magnify His power in Paul's weakness, and Paul said his response was first of all to rejoice in his weaknesses. He says, I will boast. I will take glory in my weaknesses. Man, I'm glad I'm weak. Because in my weakness, God's power is perfected. I can embrace my weakness because I know in my weakness I will experience God's power. When I am weak... In myself, then I am strong in him. Now, we men run from weakness. Men will do almost anything we can to cover up our weaknesses. We do not want to expose our weaknesses to anyone, not even ourselves. And so what we'll do, ladies, is rather than doing something that might expose our weakness, we just won't do it. We won't try something if we think we might fail and expose our weakness. But what Paul is saying is, when we understand how God uses our weakness to perfect His power, then we no longer run from our weaknesses, but what do we do? We run toward. We embrace situations that expose our weakness. And that's tough. You know, man, if I go into a situation, I'm going to expose my weakness. And to make yourself run into that situation knowing... It's going to expose your weakness because it is in that weakness that the power of God will be manifested in you as faith. But that's what Paul says we need to do, to rejoice in our weaknesses. Now take that adversity you're going through right now. It's exposing your weakness. It's humbling you. But rather than running from it, rather than praying for God to take it out of your life, why not embrace it? And say, God, I know this is exposing my weakness, and it's not comfortable, it hurts. But I know that in my weakness, your power is going to be manifested in my life. And I'm going to be more like Jesus. And that's what I want. Because the more I'm like Jesus, the more you will be glorified in my life. And Paul said, first, he rejoices in his difficulties. Next, we are to be well content. In our adversities. Because God's using them to make us strong in Jesus. Notice verse 10. Paul pretty much covers everything. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake. Why? Because when I'm weak, then I am strong. You see, some people go through life miserable Because they're always trying to eliminate all stress, all pressure, all adversities, and all difficulties in in their life. And you can't do it. To live is to experience stress and difficulties and hardships. And if you're trying to go through life eliminating all of those, you're going to be miserable because you're never going to be able to eliminate them all. And what we need to do is learn to be well content. In our problems, in our difficulties, in our stress, in our problems. Well, preacher, how in the world can I learn to be well content in these problems that I just get so tired of going through? Well, I'm going to tell you. Alright? Number one. Realize you will always have stress in your life. Period. That is life. And if you're having stress, it means you're living. So accept that fact. Secondly. Secondly. Realize that God's purpose is to humble you in these adversities and make you depend on Him. When you know there's a purpose to it, it helps. Third, realize that God's promise to you is that His grace is sufficient for all these problems and difficulties and adversities. He'll give you the grace that you look to Him to live in a way that will glorify Him in your adversity. And then number four, Realize that God's plan is to empty you so that He can fill you with His power. So now when pressures and difficulties, you can be content because you know God is at work in these. A young woman went to her mother and she said, Mom, I'm just sick and tired of the stress and pressures and struggles that I'm always going through. She said, it seems like I no sooner have gotten one problem solved than another one comes. And I'm just sick and tired of it. My mother took it into to the kitchen, and my mother put two pots of water on the stove and turned up the heat high, and the water started to boil. And in one of the pots, she put some eggs. In the other pot, she put some ground coffee beans. And they just sat there and watched. After about 20 minutes, she took the pots off the fire, and she asked her daughter, what do you see? Well, I see eggs, and I see coffee. He said, all right, take one of the eggs. So she took the egg and she broke it and peeled it. And on the inside, she saw hard-boiled egg. She said, okay, now taste the coffee. So she scooped some of the coffee up in a cup and she tasted the rich aroma. She said, that tastes good. The mother said, now, both of these items were exposed to the same thing, boiling water. One's an egg, one's coffee. One's hard, the other has a Roamer that is pleasing and a flavor that's tasty. You see, the the egg, though protected by that outer shell, before it was put in the water, the yolk was fluid, it moved, it was soft. It's was placed in the water, and now it's hard. Some people are like that when they go through stresses. You know, their heart's sensitive and, and, and fluid to God, but yet as they go through the stress, their heart becomes hard. They become embittered. And hardened toward God, other people are like the coffee. You see, the coffee changed the water, and the water became pleasing aroma, and the, the flavor of the coffee was released in the boiling water. And she said to her daughter, "Which one are you, the eggs or the coffee?" Now I would ask you the same question: Which are you? Are you allowing that adversity, that difficulty, to make you hardened toward God? Harden your heart? Or are you becoming an aroma, a sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ in every place because your adversity is releasing the power of Christ in your life? Let's spend a few moments in prayer. I want you to do some business with God. We're going to talk to Him about that stress that you're experiencing right now in your life. Father, we're coming before You now and we just want to talk to You about What's going on in our life right now. Talk to God about His purpose for this stress in your life. Acknowledge to Him what you recognize now to be His purpose for this stress. That being to humble you, to empty you. Now talk to Him about His promise to you in this pressure, in this adversity. Lord, we thank You that we know Your grace is sufficient. You will enable us to live in it in a way that glorifies You as we look to You. Now talk to Him about His plan to replace your weakness with His power in this stress, this pressure. And will you purpose in your heart before God by His grace to be well content in your situation? To even rejoice in it? Father, thank You that You love us enough to bring adversity and difficulties into our lives. And You have a purpose and a plan coupled with a promise in these adversities. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity today to respond as the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. If you need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never come to Him and placed your faith in what Jesus has accomplished for you, through His perfect life, His death on the cross, His resurrection, and ascension into heaven, today is the day of salvation. I would invite you to just come, giving everything you are, to all that He is. Humbling yourself before Him. Saying, I can't do it on my own. I recognize I cannot earn or deserve your gift of salvation, but I receive it through faith as I humble myself before you and receive you as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to come and pray about something going on in your life. Maybe there's stress. You just want to talk to God about it. Maybe you need someone to pray with you. If you come over by the keyboard, someone will pray with you. If you want to pray by yourself, if you come over here, no one will disturb you. Be obedient to the Holy Spirit as we stand and sing together.